Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's been almost six months now since Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. The hurricane is regarded as one of the worst natural disasters in Puerto Rican history. Some expressed the worry at the time that the news cycle would turn and the island's needs would be forgotten. Well, we'll try to counteract that tendency today. We're going to focus on Puerto Rico and uh, try to point you to good ways you can help. We'll also see context and look at some history. Coming up at the second half of the program, we will welcome in Edwin Melendez, who is director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College, and Maria Cordero, USU Associate Professor of Language, Philosophy, and Communication Studies. Right now, we welcome in Mindy Burton, marketing and content strategist with Typhi Humanitarian. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you joining us. And uh, we also were, welcome in uh, Carrie Lou Alvarado, co-founder of Light Up Puerto Rico. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so let me start with Mindy Burton. Um, tell me uh, just briefly what uh, Typhi Humanitarian is. Uh, yeah, so Typhi Humanitarian, we our focus is to enable people to meet their own basic needs, and we've kind of labeled those for us as food, power, shelter, water, and education. And when people are able to have those needs provided, they can thrive. That's kind of the gist in a nutshell of what we do. We partner with local organizations and globally through long-term partnerships and disaster relief. And your organization has been working in Puerto Rico? Yes, we have. And uh, you've, I understand you've been, been to Puerto Rico yes. recently? Yes, I went, I went in November with the okay. first large group that went out. All right, we'll, we'll ask you about that. Let me turn to uh, Carilou uh, Alvarado. Uh, tell us about Light Up Puerto Rico. Yes, Light of Puerto Rico is an organization that we started back in, well, the hurricane hit Puerto Rico the 20th of September, and the 26th, by the 26th, uh, local people from here, from Utah, that have ties and or that have lived in down there in Puerto Rico, and my husband and I, being uh, Puerto Ricans, they reached us, they called us and said, let's, let's do something, we've got to do something. This has been horrible, so we just, without thinking, we said, let's, let's, let's do it. And then the first necessity in that moment was water, power. The whole island was, as you already know, dark. So that's where the name came from. We have Typhi and other organizations that said, let's do it. Let's take power generators, the tents also. Um, and that's why we call it Light of Puerto Rico, because we went over there to light light them up, help them with solar system lights and solar system uh, generators. And so, yes, that's how we came up to do. And we've been going every month to help them and take supplies to them. And I'm reading on the youcaring.com. By the way, you can find uh, Light Up Puerto Rico at youcaring dot com uh, slash prsj i believe right yeah. and uh, typhi is uh, t-i-f-i-e dot org typhi dot org and uh, through both of those sites uh you can you can give money and and, and help understand yes with typhi yes, we i was going to say with typhi we 100 percent of donations go toward our project we have an endowment so it's Pretty unique. There's not a lot of things that do that, but yeah, 100% of whatever is donated will go toward the project. And uh, same with Light Up Puerto Rico? 
Yes, 100%. We, yeah. All the volunteers that go down there pay their own way. So 100% of what we collect goes straight to the product and straight to the Puerto Ricans living down there. So, Carlo Alvarado, uh, understand, I'm reading on you, caring here. Uh, this is a note to friends from uh, Jorge Alvarado, um, your, your husband. Um, you're, you guys are from Puerto Rico, right? You, uh, you've been in Utah for, what, a year or so? Planning to oh, return? Yeah, a year and a half, yes. We are from Puerto Rico. Yes, that's mm-hmm. why he kept us very near. And he, yes, he apparently he was near and dear to your heart, yes. He was an executive, interestingly, with Franklin Covey in, in Puerto Rico. Yes, time management yes, systems. Okay. Yes, he worked with Franklin Covey, Puerto Rico, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I want to get a, a handle on what things are like uh, today in, in Puerto Rico, almost six months since the, the hurricane. Um, and a month after the hurricane, when we did our last episode uh, program on this, at that time, um, 80% of people were still without power. More than a third of households were without reliable drinking water. Understood. Um, let me start with Carlo Alvarado. What are, what are things like today, your understanding? You know, there's still, right now I'm reading a post from... Um, from somebody in Umacao, which is where I grew up in the east coast of the island. And this is their post. 142 days, no power yet. Wow. So it's still like that. Um, I hear many posts or see or read many posts every day of different things. It it is getting back. Um, You know, maybe half of the island already has power, but then two days ago, the power grid in the main and the north and in the metro area exploded. I don't know if you saw it. There was mm-hmm. a big fire. Yeah. So again, again, the metro area is with no power. Um, and I don't know until what, when will this keep going. Not only the power, but a lot of people lost their roofs and houses. So we still hear people um, saying that they are living with a bunch of family together. Um, we went there last month. Every month, somebody from Lido Puerto Rico goes, and they still say, and we still say, and my family that lives there, it's still a chaos. Some things are starting to be normal, but not every, every day there's something or a, a kind of a story of what's happening or the traffic or there's no food here. I mean, in food, they are doing better but they have to go a little bit farther than they were used to go because there's still a lot of places that are not back together mm. yet. Uh, Mindy Burton, what's your understanding, the, the reports you're hearing of the situation? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Carrie so much, and especially just being out there. You just It's like, where is the power? Because I'm sure it's gotten better, but even driving around at night when I was there, you would look around and there's no power. Even in San Juan, there was very little power. And when we receive messages from people almost daily of like, hey, we still haven't got help. We haven't had any relief. We had a woman that she still had, doesn't have power and her husband relies on power for his medical purposes. And they're in pretty dire need. And so it's, we get those things almost every day. We're seeing messages the same type of thing. And it's just like, okay, there's still so much need. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, th- this is, I, I think it's being considered the worst natural disaster in Puerto Rican history. Just just devastating. This is less than six months ago now. 
I'm not sure what you're hearing about the death toll. There, there's been a lot of discussion about that. What I'm reading is at least 60 confirmed deaths, but it might, many people missing still. Yeah, I know that there was about a month ago, maybe a little more, CNN put out an article about health-related deaths. So it's not necessarily the death toll that you can say, okay, so many people died because of initial impact. But in that article, it talked about the rise in just diseases spreading or, like I said, the people have medical needs. If they get overheated or they don't have power to to refrigerate their medications, I think that's more accurate. And I wish I had that article right on top of my head, but it was pretty, I thought it was a really good sources that they pulled from, but. Uh, Carrie Lou Alvarado, you, you you lived there until recently, um, planning to go back. Um, this, you know, an, an island in the Caribbean, you're going to worry about uh, tropical storms and hurricanes. This one seemed to be just completely devastating. Yes, it was. Um, we were, we, we're used to those uh, hurricanes, and we were used to like, okay, so here we go again. Uh, we'll be without power maybe two weeks, three weeks, top. Uh, let's see. And I remember the night before the hurricane, I was talking with my my parents on the phone, and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> good luck. I'm sorry. I hope you your night is not that bad, and for sure you'll be without power a couple of weeks. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And all of a sudden, that tomorrow came like a week after maybe because it was the first time in my 45 years that I lived in Puerto Rico that it was as big as it was. Uh, the images on the television and in the news and the media were so heartbreaking in a way that I can't even explain. Not being able to communicate with our parents or our family down there was the worst week ever. Um, never, you know, our hearts and all the Puerto Ricans that live in the United States, we were all like, our heart was broken completely. Our, you know, our day, the whole day, every day was just thinking about them and how are they, where are they, um, what happened to our beautiful island. We couldn't believe it. You know, we were used to seeing news of, of other countries, uh, earthquakes and tsunamis. But it was Puerto Rico. It was our little piece of treasure, beautiful island Puerto Rico. We we were devastated by the images and by what happened. When we went down there, we couldn't believe it. So it is the worst thing that has ever happened, at least in more than 50 years. Let me follow up. Uh, this, um, I guess the severity of it um, is producing effects, you know, now some six months later. What are you are you in contact with your parents? What are they saying? I am. That's that's where I get most of the news also. They even came here for like a couple of weeks to decompress a little bit. When they went back they just called me the first day saying like I can't believe everything is the same. Um, we talked a lot of the time, uh, several times in the day, but the the calls dropped a lot because there's not a hundred percent report, you know, the, the communication yet. So, so yes, they are struggling. I mean, you know, um, uh, they still have to go and make uh, long lines just to buy things. Uh, the traffic is horrible because there's a lot of uh, stoplights 
are not working yet, so um, everybody wants to get home by 6 because then it will be a chaos, everything will be dark and the traffic and more dangerous, of course. So, so yeah, just this morning I spoke to them and same old, same old, that's what they say. Okay. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking about Puerto Rico. It's it's almost six months in since Hurricane Maria devastated the island. Uh, one of the worst, perhaps the worst, uh, natural disaster in the island's history. And uh, many still without power and uh, many ongoing problems. Uh, we, we are uh, taking a look, uh, shining a spotlight, hopefully, on uh, Puerto Rico and encouraging you, giving you some good ways that you can help. We're talking in this part of the program with Mindy Burton, marketing and content strategist with Typhi Humanitarian. They're based in Utah. And with Carrie Lou Alvarado, co-founder of Light Up Puerto Rico. Here's how you can get to those organizations, typhi.org. Uh, and Typhi is spelled T-I-F-I-E, typhi.org. And with Light Up Puerto Rico, you can go to youcaring.com slash P-R-S-J, youcaring.com slash P-R-S-J. Later in the program, we're going to be uh, putting some historical context to to this with uh, a couple of professors. We'll be talking with Edwin Melendez, Director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College, and Rio Cordero, who is uh, in the USU Language, Philosophy, and Communication Studies uh, program. Um, So Mindy Burton, you I don't know, Typhi International, I'm going to guess by necessity you'd be coordinating with governments, uh, the government down there. Um, and federal government is tasked with at least part of the response here. How are things going on the government side, do you think? Um, I would have to get back to you on that because we, so a lot of the way we operate is working with our partnerships, so with Light of Puerto Rico and the people that we've had in contact. But if your question is about the Utah government, I think our Utah government has been awesome to help as much as we can. I think they're great leaders stepping in and partnering with Light of Puerto Rico and Typhi has been, it was amazing. It's, they did that. So I don't know if that answered your question. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder, uh, Mindy Burton, the uh, have you had a good response from uh, people in Utah to uh, you know to your efforts? What's the response? Yeah. Where are the donations coming in? Mostly Utah or from other state? Um, a lot of it's been from Utah. It's been pretty amazing. But I think initially, Jerem Hollows is one of the other people that helped found it. And he said initially maybe we'll make 25000 and see what we can do with 25000 And to date, I know that we've, they've raised over 450000 and a lot of that's come from businesses, personal or individuals within the state. But, I mean, it's come from all over, and it's, it's just very amazing to see that Utah, as the governor states, the Utah way, he said that back in October, and I really think that's true. We just... I think if we could all get in a car, I think Spencer Cox said this the night before we left in November, like if we could all get in a truck, we would have been in Puerto Rico with everything we had because we just want to help. Hmm. And it's been great. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, Curry Lou Alvarado, what, what is the connection, uh, do you think? Is it, uh, what, LDS Church and the people uh, serving in Puerto Rico? What's, uh, what's, the, what's the connection that, that binds a lot of people between Utah and Puerto Rico? Yes, Utah has a unique um, um, position because of the LDS Church. I will tell you that uh, 90% of our volunteers serve their mission in Puerto Rico or in a Latin country, and maybe someone that served in Puerto Rico contacted them and came. So, and Taifi and Light of Puerto Rico are not like two separate things. They work together. 
they manage and they do all the, the money through Tyfee and um, both go to the same account. So so we're very grateful that Tyfee has been working with us. But the majority, yes, they, they serve the missions there. But we have found many, many people that uh, if, even if they're not LDS, they are we- very willing to help. And that's something that has amazed us how the Utah people have responded. We have a waiting list, about 100 plus, that want to come down to Puerto Rico to be a volunteer. So sometimes we have to uh, make cuts um, and see how we can all take them down there. What we do is that each month we take a couple of those from the list and they come. So I am surprised, but not surprised, you know, both. But at the same way, very honored and very um, excited that how many people and very touched of how many people have helped us in many different ways, not only going down there physically, but uh, supporting Light of Puerto Rico. We have about uh, six or seven minutes left in this segment of the program. I want to focus, uh, have you focus on the need and uh, and uh, an appeal for how people can help. I'll start with Mindy Burton, marketing content strategist with uh, Typhi Humanitarian. What's What are the biggest needs and how best for people to help? Yeah, so I mean, one thing I thought about is that with the loss of power, there's just been so many things on top of that. There's been loss of job. There's been people that are running out of money because they don't, they have to go buy food almost every day because they can't refrigerate their stuff. There's just a lot of things that are affected by power. And like Carrie said, with not having their homes anymore, there's just, from every angle, it feels like people just are kind of losing that hope. So number one is just keeping the conversation alive about Puerto Rico and sharing the need. But we have found ways through, like, fundraising and through just donations, we are able to purchase products and supplies that are specific to meet those needs that we talked about with the power and the water and the shelter. That's one of the biggest ways that that we operate is just donations from money. And I would say the other thing is go to Puerto Rico yourself and just go help. There's You could walk down almost any street. That's kind of how... I know we did in November, there's so much need, but that hope that people have, the longer and longer that it goes, we've seen like the light come back in their eyes by just having someone care about them and come out and just say, we love you, we, don't, we haven't forgotten you. But yeah, there's, that would be my biggest thing, and you can donate through typee.org slash donate. You select Puerto Rico as the project or to the You Caring site. Like Carolee said, we are partnership were kind of the same thing so i just want to follow up uh, so uh, i now puerto rico is u.s territory right uh it is yeah d- don't need a passport or visa you can just get on a plane and and go would you suggest someone do that yes i would and people you know message us often about what could we bring and i would say anything that could help filter water any type of solar powered light it really is, like Carrie said, it gets dark at night, and having that darkness is just, it's overwhelming to be in the dark for, for those that many hours as soon as 6 o'clock hits. But that would be, it's great. It's, it's easier to probably package things in a suitcase than try and send shiploads or, you know, those huge containers over. It's easier just to bring it on a plane with you and 
I know it sounds kind of old school, but just go find people. There's so much need. But, yep, that would that's what I would suggest. Okay. Um, Curly Alvarado with uh, Light Up Puerto Rico. What's, what are the biggest needs and how best to help? Yes, I agree with Mindy. Definitely uh, we need people to remember that we still are in need down there, that, you know, it's not a yesterday's news. It's a today's news. Spread the voice. Um, keep, uh, we, we still need money, like we said before, 100% goes completely to them. And um, going there um, again, spreading it, not not thinking that it's it, it, it's better. It, it 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 is getting better, but still we need more. We need more exposure. We need to help. We need um, people to go down there. Um, most of the people that go down there, the volunteers, they all come with their hearts uh, completely changed because of of what they see. Um, uh, Mindy said that when we go there, just give them love, just give them um, light of Puerto Rico. Another thing that we, we started taking solar, but every month the groups also have a different purpose. Last month we repaired 13 uh, roofs. So that's why we say money, because when we go down there, we buy all the supplies that we can over there that will help the economy there too, and we repair 13 roofs. Uh, this month, um, February, we're going back, and in March, we have a construction group that wants to go back also and repair. Probably they already estimated about around 20 roofs. So let's just keep making people remember and helping, and whoever wants to keep donating, that's, that's the number one need, so we can buy whatever they need over there down there. Okay. Um, we've just about reached the end of our uh, time for this segment of the uh, the program. Uh, we've been talking with Mindy Burton, marketing and content uh, strategist with Typhi Humanitarian. It's an organization based in Utah. And Carrie Lou Alvarado, co-founder of Light Up Puerto Rico. That's uh, also a uh, humanitarian organization based in uh, Utah. Uh, the contact points, Typhi is uh, typhi.org, T-I-F-I-E, typhi.org. Just click on Donate and uh, Puerto Rico. And Light Up Puerto Rico uh, can be best found on the youcaring.com website, youcaring.com slash PRSJ, youcaring.com slash PRSJ. You can uh, donate uh, there. Uh, so, Mindy Burton, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me, and thanks for keeping this conversation going. And Carrie Lou Alvarado, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We appreciate all that you do also. This, this is a lot for us, and it means a lot. Thank you. And uh, coming up, following a break, we'll welcome in uh, Maria de Jesus Cordero. She's a USU Associate Professor of Language, Philosophy, and Communication Studies. And Edwin Melendez will join us. He's Director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College. Uh, Stay with us following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Wasserman Festival presenting pianist Daniel Sue performing works by Bach, Chopin, and Mussorgsky on Wednesday, February 21st at 7.30 p.m. in the Russell Wanless Performance Hall. Tickets at arts.usu.edu. Did you know that parental involvement in youth sports programs can strengthen family relationships? 
research on the impact of parental involvement in their children's sports participation, the role of sport participation on family relationships and parent-child interaction, and the outcomes of parent support and pressure in youth and adolescent sports contexts have been highlighted in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Chicago Tribune. This research is also being used by youth sport leagues, administrators, and parents to build effective sport programs that support youth development. This segment of Did You Know That? has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Consider the human species. We're not very strong. We can't climb very well. We don't swim very well. We can't fly. So how did we make it to the top of the food chain? We came up with the weirdest adaptation probably in the animal kingdom. It's the ability to sweat. We are running other animals to death using our endurance running prowess. I'm Guy Raz. Adaptation, that's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Join us Sunday afternoon at 2 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's been six months now, almost six months, since Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. The hurricane is regarded as one of the worst natural disasters in Puerto Rican history, if not the worst. Some Puerto Ricans expressed worry at the time that the news cycle would turn, the island's needs would be forgotten. We're trying to counteract that tendency today on the program. We're going to focus on Puerto Rico, and we are focusing on Puerto Rico, trying to point you to good ways you can help. And we're also seeking context and looking at some history. And uh, we'll get the current situation as well from our guests in this half of the program. But we're moving a little more to the context and some history. And uh, we have been talking with Mindy Burton with Typhi Humanitarian. And you can donate there, typhi.org. We also talked with Kerry Lou Alvarado with Light Up Puerto Rico. And the way to donate to them is youcaring.com slash PRSJ, youcaring.com slash PRSJ. And uh, we bring in now uh, Maria de Jesus Cordero, USU Associate Professor of Language, Philosophy, and Communication Studies, who joins us in studio. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Move the microphone a little closer to you there. So you teach uh, Spanish? I, well... And some other things? I, I teach in Spanish, but I teach Latin American literature and mm. culture and um, Caribbean studies. Okay. Uh, born in Cuba? I was born in Cuba. Okay. And uh, so you do teach uh, Caribbean, Caribbean studies? I do, and, and I do research in that area as well. Okay. And we welcome back to the program Edwin Melendez, a professor of urban affairs and planning at Hunter College, director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies there at Hunter College. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. And uh, we did a program uh, about a month after the hurricane. We're revisiting this issue, so we appreciate you coming back, uh, Professor Melendez. Um, let me start with you, uh, Professor Melendez. Uh, your you know, connections uh, to the island, what you're hearing, uh, what's the situation now? Still some ongoing problems. Yeah, well, first, uh, uh, thanks for the work that you're doing, keeping the, the, the issue alive. As you know, uh, we're entering a critical phase uh, with respect to congressional support to Puerto Rico. They just uh, made a, uh, a couple of appropriations that were very significant, but way under uh, the amount that is needed for recovery. 
Uh, we know that uh, though uh, electricity has reached uh, you know a significant number of the population, it's very uneven. There are still a lot of areas in the interior that are not uh, that are without electricity, and if they don't have electricity, they don't have water because the pumps depend on on the uh, you know energy available. Uh, so it's very uneven. There, there's a lot of damage in housing, and you know it was caused by both the winds and the flooding that are still uh, pending to be repaired. Uh, I, I think the efforts to uh, uh, repair, uh, you know, housing that was destroyed or damaged uh, has been very slow, in part uh, because of you know the FEMA claims have to go through, and there's been a little bit uh, uh, lacking on. on on the speed, but also uh, because there, you know, there were shortages of supplies, you know, from, uh, you know, rep- you know, materials to repair the roofs and you know, and and labor, right? Because you have the demand for labor going on, so it's very uneven, um, and we hope that things will continue to improve. Uh, we got uh, data on the uh, economic uh, impact of the storm. Uh, it was not as high as expected with respect to unemployment, but we do have some uh, rule of thumb for the loss of output, you know, GDP, and that's a bit more significant. So, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see, uh, uh, measure how much progress uh, we've had, but six months out, and you still have, you know, hundreds of thousands of families without electricity, and and as many probably w- not receiving water, so you know you can judge by yourself. Professor Cordero, what are you what are you hearing? Well, um, that about a third of the population is still without electricity. That um, FEMA has been threatening to to pull out when the need is still dire, and a lot of desperation. And there are Puerto Ricans that have uh, temporarily come to live on the continental U.S., and their assistance in terms of lodging is being cut off after only a few months when your whole life has been turned upside down and you're in a new location. It's very difficult to get back on your feet. I think that um, mental health has been neglected that people are are suffering in that respect and for that reason it is doubly difficult to start again and yet they're expected to and so there is still a lot of need and a lot of suffering yeah um and that's a factor i think probably still misunderstood uh, puerto rico is u.s territory puerto ricans are u.s citizens yes the technical term is Estado Libre Asociado. Um, It's a very complicated situation. Puerto Rico was a colony of Spain from the late 15th century until 1898. Um, There were forces on the island that were struggling to be able to become liberated from Spain. And at that time, the U.S. invaded Puerto Rico and took it as a colony along with Cuba, Guam, and the Philippines. At the first 
Puerto Rico was very much under the thumb of the U.S. Puerto Ricans couldn't even fly the the Puerto Rican flag. English was spoken in the schools. Um, it was a situation of even more control than Spain had. Over time, it loosened up a little bit, and currently, uh, Spanish is spoken in the school with English as a second language. They can fly their flag. They also fly the U.S. flag. In um, 1917, Puerto Ricans were made U.S. citizens, but it was so that they could fight in the First World War. The relationship is very complicated. There are some advantages and some disadvantages for the Puerto Rican people. One of the advantages is that they have U.S. citizenship. Um, but, you know, there are responsibilities. They also have to fight in the, in the armed forces of the United States, and many have. Many Puerto Ricans are currently fighting or are veterans of the United States Armed Forces. Um, they can have congressional representation, but um, I believe that their representatives are not allowed to vote. The Puerto Rican people can vote in the primaries for the presidential elections, but they can't vote in the actual general elections. It's, it's such a complicated situation that few people can really get it straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think probably some confusion, I'll, I'll direct this to Professor Melendez, um, still some confusion, do you think, among, you know, the average average uh, mainland American um, about to w- what Puerto Rico's status is? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, one of the uh, silver linings of the, uh, you know, of this crisis with Hurricane Maria is that obviously the, the uh, national uh, conversation about Puerto Rico and its status have uh, more, uh, it's, it's more wide, or, you know, the topic is widely discussed among, you know, different sectors, and the polls uh, suggest that an increasing number of uh, Americans actually recognize that Puerto Ricans are uh, U.S. citizens. Uh, they also favor uh, congressional action to support Puerto Rico and help Puerto Rico. Uh, so the challenge is how do you translate? First of all, how do you increase the convers- You know, how do you increase the awareness and continue the conversation about the you know Puerto Rico? Uh, the status issue, however, is going to take a while uh, uh, to be resolved, given that uh, with this crisis, obviously, the rebuilding of the economy and the infrastructure uh, has uh, gained uh, priority over any other issue. And just recently, uh, a couple of the you know Hispanic senators uh, declared that, that uh, there's no time, uh, there's no appetite at all in Congress uh, to discuss the status issue. But having said that, uh, you know, recent events, especially the enactment of PROMESA, which is the, uh, the law that Congress, in, you know, enacted a couple of years ago in 2016, uh, begun in, uh, signed by President Obama on July 1st of 2016, is a law that imposed uh, a control board, a fiscal oversight management board, and also granted a state on the... On, on the debt and allow uh, the Commonwealth to go through uh, a debt restructuring uh, in the federal court. 
And but that law itself is a testament, is a you know prima facie evidence that there is a political crisis as much as there is an economic crisis, a debt crisis, and now uh, a humanitarian crisis with all the impact of the hurricane and the spike in poverty and and uh, unemployment as a result of the hurricane. So it's complicated. It's not just one crisis. Uh, we actually have this sort of overlapping, um, you know, spheres of the of, of the crisis that go from the political and the status, as you suggest, as much as the debt and the economic and fiscal crisis, and now resulting in this sort of uh, humanitarian uh, needs that uh, that Puerto Rico uh, needs. You know, all of those things make the situation very complicated, as it's been stated. Let me begin this question with you, Professor Melendez. I want to get uh, the uh, perspective of Professor Cordero as well. Do you think the current crisis, uh, you know, the, what's happening, this is a, the biggest natural disaster we think had ever hit Puerto Rico and the reverberations, do you think this will change things, change opinion in, in Puerto Rico in terms of status? Well, so I, th- I think uh, it has. Uh, they obviously... There is more apprehension among the general public about the relationship with the United States. There's a growing sentiment, uh, as probably your uh, your audience have heard before, uh, in favor of statehood. But I think the uh, the reality is that across the segments in the Puerto Rican population, there is more awareness that this issue needs to be resolved. That uh, obviously the narrative. Uh, for in favor of statehood is that with statehood there will be more political representation both in the House and the Senate. Uh, obviously, that road has too many pitfalls uh, with respect to both the House and the Senate to have any, uh, you know, any meaningful prospect of of attending the issue. On the other hand, uh, you know, people in Puerto Rico are appreciative of all the support that they get. Uh, from the United States, but they're also critical as to uh, obvious, uh, you know, sort of uh, lacking in uh, in support to the needs of that, you know, for example, FEMA and other agencies need to be providing us, you know, we're at the end, we're American citizens and Puerto Rico is part of the United States, and they uh, deserve the same support that Florida California and Texas are receiving because of their natural disasters. So I, you know, the answer is yes. I think there is more awareness. The Supreme Court decisions in 2016, which pretty much affirmed the fact that uh, Puerto Rico is not sovereign, and and Congress and the president exert the ultimate uh, power of authority among you know many spheres in Puerto Rico. Certainly, uh, you know, with respect to the law and. Um, and also, that underli- you know underlines the responsibility towards the territory. Professor Cordero, uh, the same question, I suppose. You, you, uh, as Professor Melendez pointed out, the power resides with Congress and the President, and status won't change without them. But do you think um, opinion on the island will shift because of this regarding status? I imagine that it, it will. Um, this situation has been a very, very difficult for the people of Puerto Rico, but at the same time, um, I feel that there is some ambivalence still. They, 
feel that while perhaps if they they were a state, assistance would have been swifter. At the same time, I think that um, there is hurt there because for a long time, and I think to some extent still, they felt abandoned by by the by the U.S. government, and and those hurt feelings, you know, are, are difficult to resolve. And in becoming another state, there would be more loss. They would be sacrificing their their culture, their language, and their their identity. Mm. Professor Melendez, what do you think about that? The, the, the downsides of statehood. Well, you know, it's uh, this is the dilemma that we have faced as a nation for too long. Uh, obviously, the the Puerto Rico, uh, you know, Puerto Rico government is a hybrid uh, where you have self governance until recently for almost everything, including getting into debt and destroying the economy. By the way, and uh, and and obviously. Uh, Puerto Ricans feel that they are, uh, their identity is a Latin American identity. The Spanish uh, heritage is uh, very strong. And until now, we all thought that we were the smarter people in the world because we could balance the affiliation with the U.S. Uh, if you were to conduct a poll in Puerto Rico, I guess, uh, you know, being an American citizen, we'll get 99% of the votes, Right. It's very entrenched in the in the people that we like to have some affiliation with the U.S. and our citizenship is, um, you know, as central uh, studies have concluded, is permanent and irreversible. In 1940, we were granted constitutional protection, uh, you know, uh, birthright uh, rights for people that were born in the island. So it's very difficult to strip uh, that citizenship. On the other hand, uh, you know, as Professor Cordero asserted. We are very proud of our identity. We, uh, the first language in Puerto Rico is uh, Spanish, without a doubt. On the other hand, the you know through private education and so forth, the the prevalence of English is more pronounced. Uh, you know, obviously, to have access to all the you know MTV and all the the cultural uh, impact of uh, American uh, media, uh, people you know have learned uh, English uh, enough to. Uh, uh, to do, uh, you know, common day uh, activities. So it's this uh, sort of dialectic, if you will, that is playing out right now. People are uh, looking at those trade-offs and and trying to figure out where they stand. Uh, I think what I will say in uh, in terms of the future that the the people, Puerto Rican people are very resilient, and this opportunity. A lot of civic sectors have emerged, not only in the diaspora by sending support, as been stated before in your program, but also in Puerto Rico in reconstruction. You know, you should have seen the spirit of people going through the countryside, cleaning, uh, you know, houses and roads, and and the spirit of collective action. I think has been sparked by this crisis, and that has consequences. Right, in back in 2016. The independent uh, sector vote grew to about 17% of the votes for governor. That's unprecedented in the modern history of Puerto Rico. So there are signs that there is a resiliency that is uh, permeating all the 
uh, you know, uh, politics and economics and, and civic engagement in Puerto Rico, and I think that's promising. Uh, you know, it's too, too early to say where we're going to go with all of this, but but I think that this dilemma may be finally uh, on its way to be resolved. And I will just add one more thing, which is to say that the solidarity movement of the Puerto Rican people in the United States with respect to Puerto Rico is a new phenomenon that didn't exist before and that can be very, uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a new factor that didn't exist before that may actually help resolve the situation. Professor Cordero, um, what do you think about that? Are you seeing that as well, an increased solidarity um, movement? Yes, uh, among the the people, definitely. The American people are extremely generous and, um, you know, more than willing to step up when there is an emergency and, and help others, definitely. But there is still the matter of the response at the level of of the government, and I I think that that is that is there, and um, that it it plays a, a role. I, th- there was how um, the president of the United States spoke about Puerto Rico and its people in extremely negative terms, in ways that were um, untrue, and and it's not what people needed to hear when um, they were in such dire need. You know, when there is an emergency, you want to hear, you want and expect to hear words of encouragement and a promise of support. And that was not, that was not given to the people. Mm. I want to talk about uh, migration uh, back and back and forth. I'll start with Professor Cordero on this one. Um, you know, Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens, able to migrate back and forth. Um, I expect that there may be an increase in migration to the U.S. because of this natural disaster. Yes, there, there has been. People have, have come. There, there are people that are living in very small hotel rooms because they um, had to leave their homes. They were uninhabitable. Um, but there are people that have family, extended family here, and are here with them. Um, they, they are also increasingly under pressure to to start over, to return to the island or to find work and lodging in the United States on their own because FEMA is threatening to um, to stop the help. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading that yeah, um, uh, New York Times headline, today, just what Professor Cordero said. Professor Melendez, um, support, I guess, financial support running out for uh, some of the people who, who did migrate. Yes, but it's, I think that's uh, just uh, uh, indicative that, uh, you know, what's happening in Puerto Rico has an impact here in the diaspora, not just because people come, but also... Uh, the provision of services and so forth. We estimated in a couple of reports that you can find in our website. You can go to Central PR, you know, Google that, and and you get to our website. And we have a couple of reports. The first one was in October about the overall flow, and we predicted that about half a million people will migrate over the next three years as a result of the hurricane. Uh, we also uh, did a follow-up report looking at school enrollment in the 
in uh, in Florida, and now we're expanding that to the seven largest states with Puerto Rican uh, exodus. Uh, and and the numbers pretty much confirm our predictions in you know for that particular segment of school age children uh, in Florida there were more than the twelve thousand in New York we are now uh, going around twenty five hundred and the story is the same across across the nation so that means that uh, the the flow from Puerto Rico is impacting our communities on a daily basis there are you know communities. Uh, Dealing with the whole question of housing and shelter, as, as was reported by the New York Times today, uh, there is anxiety about what's going to happen with FEMA cuts the support. Uh, community organizations are working on that. But all in all, uh, it's important to keep that dimension that Puerto Rico is being depopulated. Uh, Puerto Rico is losing. They're closing school because of that. And the economic recovery of the island is, is made more difficult because of this exodus that, you know, people, if they don't have jobs, they're going to continue migrating. If the hardship of the of the hurricane doesn't allow them to have electricity and water and they cannot reconstruct their housing, uh, you know, uh, the logical uh, step is to migrate and, and look for employment and better housing uh, situation. Uh, and the worst part of all this is that it's, it is young families having children uh, especially, uh, you know, school-age children who are migrating to the United States. So that means that in the future, you're going to have a, uh, you know, less uh, uh, children going through the system. As a matter of fact, for the first time uh, in modern history, Puerto Rico had more death than birth, and that, you know, that sort of demographic winter is certainly an impediment to uh, to the reconstruction and recovery of Puerto Rico. Just have a couple minutes left. Good last word to Professor Cordero. What uh, what do you hope the takeaway is? People are because unfortunately because of this natural disaster, people maybe are learning about Puerto Rico. What what do you hope they learn? What do you hope they take away? Uh, yes, and there's always a silver lining and the awareness, the shedding shedding the spotlight on on Puerto Rico and helping people in the U.S. to to realize what the relationship is between their country and Puerto Rico and to learn about the plight of the people and, and to lend a hand where possible. All of that is 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 extremely, extremely positive. But um, we need to find some, some solutions. And one thing that we haven't talked about is the Jones Act that was established in, by the U.S. in 1920 in order to keep German boats from getting into into the harbor, and it's it's um, a policy that has outlived, um, you know, its reason for coming into into being, and in in truth, it is it is a policy that promotes U.S. U.S. shipbuilding, but but creates a lot of hardship for the people of Puerto Rico. And this was true before the hurricane. Um, it, it's a policy, in case people don't, don't know what it is, that limits um, how, how products can be brought to Puerto Rico. It has to be done by way of, of U.S. ships, the ships need to be owned by American citizens, built by them, and um, 
and obviously it, it places a lot of limitations on how how products can get to to Puerto Rico. Ships can come from other countries, but they they would have to uh, suffer punitive tariffs and taxes, which would then you know uh, be transferred onto the consumer. Sometimes they'll reroute those ships to the U.S. and then you know send the products over on the U.S. ships, but that again becomes a problem of the Puerto Rican consumer. So it, before the hurricane, it cost Puerto Ricans twice as much to buy food than it would someone from Florida. And unemployment and it was a problem in Puerto Rico and also um, low wages. And all of this led to you know, a bad economy, lots of debt. And this was before before the hurricane. Then when the hurricane struck, it posed a problem because aid could not get to Puerto Rico easily. The president lifted the Jones Act, but he was late in doing so, and he did so only for 10 days. And as far as I know, it's back in place. And I feel that if if it could be lifted, that this could alleviate the suffering of the people. It could help in the process of rebuilding. We will leave it there. Much else to talk about. We'll likely come back and revisit this at a, a later date. And uh, we encourage help. You can help through a couple of Utah organizations, typhi.org and Light Up Puerto Rico. You can find them at youcaring.com slash PRSJ. You can uh, find out more at the from the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Centro PR. And we've been talking with Edwin Melendez, who's director of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Maria de Jesus Cordero, who is uh, a USU Associate Professor of Language, Philosophy, and Communication Studies. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Cafe Ibis Deli at 52 Federal Avenue in Logan, featuring triple certified coffee, espresso bar, and grab-and-go food items every day, Monday through Saturday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Sundays, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Information at cafeibis.com. You are listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.